like, okay, so this is not just us. Everyone is trying to find the next hit. Everyone is looking for the Justin Bieber in their bedroom that was found on YouTube by Usher. Everyone is looking for the next Billy Eilish. And they want them first as well. They want, yeah. want them first. They, they want them in their bedroom because they're cheap. Yeah. Sorry. This is the Commute to Me podcast. My name is Guy Boggan. Amongst many things, I am a photographer and filmmaker. I started a podcast to chat to friends and fascinating people, not necessarily about them, but instead about their experience in the industry or business, their topic of expertise, even a skill or talent they might have. These impressive individuals are not claiming to be experts in their field with the very best of what they do. Rather, I just want to offer you an insight into what they've learned so far. Just a little something interesting. This is the Commute to Me podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Guy. Thank you for coming along. Uh, so today I'm joined by Neil Dunn, who is involved in the music industry. He's a very good friend of mine. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to right now? Sure, yeah. So I'm an artist manager. I run an artist management agency here in Dublin. And I also sort of fell into setting up my own, uh, with my business partner, music tech company uh, called Anderson. So... Myself, my business partner, Zach, uh, as well as our trusty team, sort of spend our full time uh, running the two of those guys. Yeah, we, we're in your office. How long have you been in this office space? Yeah, funnily enough, it's a great space. We're real city centre, uh, just opposite Dicey's, which is a funny place to be. <laughs> uh, but we started on the top floor in the attic, which was very much a box room uh, two years ago. And then such is the life of like... Uh, startups where you fall in and out of cash positivity. Uh, we left the space, but then we came back and upgraded to a bigger room. But now we've sort of got the the main the main event space. So we've got the big office here. Uh, so we've been here for almost like I think probably two years. Well, yeah, I'd say time absolutely flies. I <laughs> want to get into the nitty gritty of the business, but I want to start off by saying, like, so music has that always been a big part of your life? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, since I was three, so well, probably even younger. Uh, all my family play like violin, piano. My mum's a great singer, so like growing up, music was just constantly on the house. I think I probably pulled all of my um, or most of my music taste, as most people do, from their parents. Uh, my dad's a massive music fan. He claims to have uh, not a musical bone in his body, but I don't believe it. I think everyone does. Um, but yeah, so I grew up playing violin, a bit of piano, would have sang in choirs. And then I think the standard fear of leaving cert sort of squashed my uh, my courage. Uh, I would have done well in school, but never really felt like I could make a career out of music. So um, I sort of fell into engineering. Um, but through that and through my involvement in sort of college societies and college groups where you were involved as, in the Trinitones, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was involved with Trinitones and Trinity Orchestra and all these, you meet all these amazing people who, uh, as you did, like with snow sports and with sailing, like people who realise that their passion can become their career. Um, and I think that sort of inspires you to sort of focus on what makes your heart beat and less so what you get on a CAO result form or whatever did you when you so you, you're like myself you left college mm-hmm. but in dropping out did you do that because you're like i i just think college isn't for me or did you have a very specific plan as to what you went for straight away 
No, like, did you like, go straight into something specific, or is it just I? I wanted to pursue music in whatever element. That yeah, takes it, it was sort of weird. Like college definitely was for me, um, in some capacity. Like I think I was so fortunate. Obviously, thanks to my parents to get a great education, but then in Trinity, it's such an accepting, amazing community of people. I think I don't think I'd be here. I definitely wouldn't be here had I not met all the people I met in Trinity. So to the extent that college as a community, it was definitely for me. I don't think the course, I think basically I got, I got ill in second year and it gave me that sort of like time to like sit back and go, why am I spending like, I was, I was studying engineering, which is minimum 32 hours a week uh, paired with all the extracurricular stuff, which was taking up way more than 32 hours a week. And I was like, God, I've got these two things that are, can't, they're both counterproductive because if I spend too much time on one thing, the other fails. So, uh, again, lucky to have supportive parents who said, look, if you're not certain you need to go back, take a year out and think about it. And then look at it. I met my business partner who had just moved from America and really wanted to settle here and focus on the Irish music industry. So it just sort of felt like the right time, right place. I did end up going back to college um, to something more specific. So I went back uh, to IADT to study digital marketing and sales um, and definitely see the value. Yeah, of course. Um, but it just wasn't the right time, I think. Mm -hmm. And then, so you're, you're probably, was it your first endeavor was music management? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so you, were, so you started a company called Think Tank, Think Tank Management. So yeah, so Think Tank is Zach's company uh, based in, uh, he started up in New York. And Zach just sort of got sick of the New York cynicism and had fallen in love with Ireland and the Irish music scene. He came over to do an MBA in Trinity and I had sort of just begun my, that sort of, that year out of college where I started talking to other groups that weren't solely based in the college space and they were trying to sort of make their band or their group, their livelihood. And I was really interested because I sort of, pushed a lot of college groups beyond what they normally did. And I was like, why don't I do this with a group that has no glass seating, you know? Um, so myself and Zach sort of started talking amicably, but then when I sort of showed him the first band that I wanted to work with, which is which was Toucan, he was just like, it was just like that sort of like aha moment. And he was like, yeah, 100%. And then we, through that, started just like trolling through the web, trying to find other artists to work with. Um, but yeah, so like in the early days, I suppose, obviously with, with Zach having a company in New York and him having some experience in the industry over there, how did you get your footing in the music business here or the music management business very early on? Um, honestly, like it, it, it sounds strange, but it probably was Trinidones, like running a group like that. It's funny. It's like it is a college acapella group. Um, but it really punched above its weight. Like we were playing, I remember the first thing I did, big thing for the group was I, I got them booked to Electric Picnic, which the guys just laughed at, you know? They were like, this is hilarious that a college acapella group is playing at a big music festival. But I was like, we're really good, why not? And then the sort of the ending period of, of my tenure was uh, an Australia tour. And again, it's like, why is a college acapella group able to do this? And if you t look at such a niche thing like college acapella and you 
then apply the same attitude to commercial pop music, rock music, whatever. It's like it's the same processes, but bigger. Yeah, it was completely completely unheard of to take a college a cappella group outside of their like bubble in mm. Dublin and not only get really big in Dublin and not just within the college but all over and on social media but then to actually take them on tour to australia and to the us and yeah it was a lot of fun yeah <laughs> uh so how many artists do you have signed under think tank at the moment yeah so currently we're working with uh four artists sort of like formally and now we're starting to we're conscious that we're a small agency at think tank and we don't want to oversell ourselves or overpromise. there's too much of that happens in the music industry and traditionally, and people are just so aware of it, especially look at all those movies coming out that paint managers in a bad light. Um, I love them. <laughs> but it's at the same time, we're like, we're very conscious of the ability that we have. We're a small team. I believe the two of us and now the rest of the team that's growing around us, we're all very good at what we do, but you only have so many hours in the day. So we have four guys that we have sort of like full-time in the roster, and now we're sort of expanding... Uh, with a few artists where we're sort of like trying to do uh, like testing six-month contracts where we can maybe, so we're bringing an act across in the States and we're helping her break into Ireland and the UK. Uh, we're working with a few other artists just sort of seeing if the relationship works because management is, for a lot of artists, one of the first steps. Yeah. Um, sometimes the first, sometimes the second or third. Um, but because of that... It, it really it's almost like getting into like a romantic relationship with someone yeah it's you like have to you, trust them oh absolutely yeah. it's all based off trust you both have to understand each other what the goals are um so we try not to over deliver so i suppose particularly small. in the early days and this is what i'm curious about in, in music because it will get on to what the from the artist side but um the artists are taking a risk with you yeah, especially if they're somewhat established. So how do you how did you validate your skills almost as equally as them when you're starting out in management? Yeah, well, I, I definitely from my perspective, I was very fortunate being young and having someone like Zach who'd been so Zach came into came into Ireland with a lot of experience under his belt. He'd worked with massive international bands, uh, right from intern through to like tour managing. Um, and sort of when he broke out, Think Tank was very much like indie rock in New York. Um, and we've definitely expanded now because we cover like pop, hip hop, uh, pop rock, indie rock. We, we don't like try to conform to genre anymore. But because of Zach's experience and, and I think honestly also because you're building that relationship, when you meet with someone, you sort of know pretty quickly whether working relationship is going to work. Like we've had many meetings with many artists and some just don't work. It just hasn't gone the way you thought yeah. it had. Yeah. And you know it, like, you know whether, first of all, we don't like working, this sounds really bad, but we don't like working with artists or music that we don't believe in. But at the same time, that's the benefit of the artist. Do, do music, do you or managers in general have a, a certain genre that you specialize in or usually or like keep it quite refined when you get good at promoting a certain genre or a certain type of act? Yeah, so th there is a lot of that. Um, with management, it's sort of funny because management is like, you're their business manager. Um, now, again, one of the nice things with myself and Zach is we're both also musicians, so we understand a lot of the pain points of the artist. Um, 
when you look into promotion, booking, and labels, a lot of them do conform by genre. Um, the same with management, but then again, when you look at traditional management, un- unfortunately, the, the movies aren't wrong. They're fat, old, white, balding, middle-aged yeah. men. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we certainly don't conform to genre. We're, our sort of mantra is uh, currently predominantly Irish music, but Irish music that we can scale that we believe Globally. we can scale internationally, yeah. It has a very much wide appeal. Yeah, and yeah. some some of the stuff doesn't. Like, we've we've sat down with artists and they were just like, look, my cap is I want to be able to play to 150 cap rooms. And we worked with them for a while and it didn't work out. But, like, we've got an artist um, who very much fits the mold of playing the three arena as his pinnacle. And then we've got another guy who's like, in again, in terms of Irish terms, like, Vicker Street or the Olympia is the cap. And that that's amazing because he's just not the type of artist that would play the three arena. It's it suits the intimate crowd. It yeah, exactly. Crowd. So it's yeah. that's that's what we enjoy about it, like getting to work with such different music because it keeps it challenging for us. But at the end of the day, it's really based around we try to base everything around them. And uh, this is like something that probably can be quite controversial but music appreciation can be very subjective and I think there's so many talented talented individuals around the world and in Ireland so how do you bet on certain acts versus others like what defines talent or skill enough for you to take a risk and sign them yeah that's a really good question um a lot of the time it's like definitely you can't deny that some of it's good um but at the same time there are very talented musicians uh, you work with but again it just may not work out whether it's timing whether it's just like personality clashing um, again you, you figure out you're building relationships so that they trust you and you trust them um, so it's definitely not the case that we only we don't work with untalented musicians or well, we, all of our musicians are very talented but you also forget that there's so much talent out there so you can only listen to so much you can only appreciate so much um so yeah definitely a lot of it's good um what do you think the balance is like between how much an artist has a raw skill and talent coming to you versus their experience that they already have in the industry or like touring or shows or gigging or even experience recording or marketing themselves so like how much of it is when you're looking for someone or someone approaches you are you looking for what you can work with versus like their talent they already have or their experience like what will pay more if someone is starting off definitely like don't get more recently we've again it's probably because we're more established here our our door is being knocked on more which is obviously uh, amazing for us to get which means the sort of it's it's less of us handing other people and they're coming to us asking for support which means you have people further along the line that have sort of heard of us or seen an artist that we work with and being like god they're doing really well who's their management um so there's definitely it's definitely nice to get that, but at the end of the day, like one of the acts we worked with, I literally was sent a YouTube clip of her playing at the piano, um, like 50 views on YouTube from years ago. Uh, through a friend, they were like, you need to talk to this girl. And instantly I was like, this girl is like, so th- there was no, no knowledge of the music industry whatsoever. Um, and, but again, it's like, it's back to that good. It's, uh, Again, because we're musicians, have experience in songwriting and ranging, 
we also know what's um, good commercially uh, and that also helps with the stuff we do now. That can probably be awkward sometimes when as much as you love music and like when the commercial side has to matter to a certain mm. extent, you know, when it, but you do at the end of the day, they have to sell the music or like Absolutely. they have to make money for you and the management. And I like the correct answer here is it doesn't matter and it shouldn't, but I'm curious as to how much the consideration in the music industry there is towards physical traits and how someone looks, but not just in the way they're born, but like their style mm. and um, like they're a band, but they're 10 piece or they're a band yeah, and they're yeah. by themselves. They're like, because in theatre and in film casting teams they're looking for someone who can act but they're also looking for someone who's six foot tall and built yeah. and I think like for certain roles absolutely and I yeah, think yeah. being a little quirky in music is actually quite good because mm. you stand out it makes it very recognisable well, well, definitely is that something image, you look for though is image like is important yourself, like being different so, so I think you actually touched on it really well because we were having a conversation with one of our artists recently and they were sort of like looking back on their successes and their failures and they're like, what's going wrong here? Like, I'm being told that my music isn't getting into this radio station because of X and I'm not getting to play this show because of Y. And the conversation was like circling around this idea of com- conforming, right? Um, and when you really think about it, like I, I use this as like an Instagram analogy. When you go onto an Instagram account, if you if you go through your Instagram account and you're like, I'm gonna unfollow loads of people because my feed is shit. Why, why do you follow the accounts you like? Why do you follow the ones that you really like? And it's really, certainly for me, it's you follow people who are so passionate about what they're passionate about. Like one of the accounts I follow is a crisp fanatic. <laughs> Or there's like there's the the bad London Guinness one. Yeah. There's all these and it's like people are just so into what they're doing. So when you look at the like the great artists, yes, it's there's so like niche. Yeah, yeah. It, it's that like don't get me wrong, a good pop song is a good pop song is a good pop song. Mm-hmm. They're like people say they don't like pop, they're wrong. Like nobody dislikes pop as much as any indie rock fan says. When that pop song that everyone knows comes on the radio, everyone's like, that's a great song. Um. And that's something I battled with for a while, but I put my I asked, pop, good pop is great pop. But when you look at the like, one of my favorite artists is a guy called Moses Sumney. And the word unique is thrown out around a lot in music, and I don't agree with it at all. I don't think, sorry, this sounds really cynical, but there's no such thing as unique anymore. So if anyone comes in and is like, I've got a unique sound, it's like, yes, but like, there's so much music out there that you draw inspiration from somewhere. There's, there's an element. However, if you're so focused on doing what you're doing and you're so passionate about it, you don't care what the critics say. You just keep doing what you're doing and you do it really, really well. You can't help but be wrapped up in that. Like, yeah. So and that's... Do you, do you think, I was talking to someone recently in, um, particularly when it gets to a commercial side, there being kind of a formula for a pop song because I think, uh, I was talking to someone in web design and we were talking about how, yes, you can be as creative as you want, but the consumer, when they come to a website, they look for the same things. Then the menu needs to be in the same place. Absolutely. Like, even if you make the font different, like you can't be that drastically different or else everyone will just be like, whoa, no. Absolutely. And I'm just wondering, is that kind of the same principle in music? Is that for it to be very widely appreciated, there kind of has to be the there same is, kind of thing? There's absolutely formula. Um, like pop tends to follow the formula, but then... Um, and again, when I'm talking about that, it's like, yeah, when you're listening to the radio, you're expecting certain things. 
which does make it hard for artists that are sort of like, let's say, touching on the sort of commercial side of things. And they're sort of like, they're in that sphere, but they're slightly different. So they want to get into top 40 radio, but they know they need a label or they know they need that sort of like nepotismic element to it to break in uh, unless... So it, there, there definitely is that fear. But then you look at the likes of Lizzo. Lizzo, sure, in terms of structure, a lot of her songs are formulaic. But in terms of like genre... Yeah. Like, yes, you now call Lizzo pop. But there's, there's soul in there, there's disco... There's, there's like ages. Yeah, there's that. So in terms of structure, it's also gone out the window. Yep. Like um, throw out the rule book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, but absolutely, the human ear is used to that sort of the first chorus, first As chorus. It is like trained to be like intro chorus. Absolutely, like, yeah. but it's also like like Adele. Um, what's the song? Somebody to love or sorry, great song. But it's the most for me. Like I remember listening to a musicologist, and it's like. The, the gaps between the notes are like uh, trigger certain emotional responses. Like it's, uh, it's, it's terrible when you look into thinking that people might've done it that way. Um, if for the recognition. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, that, that makes me upset. Like, I, I don't believe people should do that. I, again, that's why I'm like, do what you love to do really well. And it's going to be great. Like I hate, Clip, clicking onto the, the song credits of a Beyonce song and seeing 20 songwriters or more more so with Ariana Grande it's yeah. like 20 people walk up to collect a song Grammy um, <laughs> yeah. so but at the same time again we work with like an amazing pop act and he writes all the songs himself and he's pure 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 pop um, and you put it exactly side by side with like an Ariana Grande song and you write these two songs like you can listen to them on the radio side by side, not an issue. Um, and yes, it's formula, but he's doing it all himself, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, not. It's not for yeah uh, bad intention or like no. it's not just for sales. I want to get on to social media and music because you touched on it there when you got sent someone's YouTube video as like their portfolio, and um, like before and when I say before, I mean like not even that long ago, and it's it their industry has changed marketing wise so rapidly at least in my opinion like i'm not in music but it started out that your main marketing was probably like having a very good album artwork or cd artwork but other than that it was like it was your it was your records your posters but i feel now it's much more about how who you are as a person and people want to see you as well as your music and uh like the examples i'll do is like sean mendez who completely started on youtube uh for music talent, but then also like Lewis Capaldi, who, yes, <laughs> it's combined with the fact that he's unbelievable. Like his singing is incredible, but people uh, love find him. him through ha him being himself online yeah, and, being, yeah. and his management, I remember saying like, keep doing what you're doing on Instagram Absolutely. and Twitter. But like even Ali Sherlock, the Irish girl yeah. who's like 12 or 13, who bought the graphic street. Yeah, but yeah. she got brought over to Ellen in LA and she definitely has like management lined up for her when she turns like, yeah, 16, yeah. 17. So it's like, people are finding themselves online nowadays. Absolutely, there's a lot of that. I think um, in terms of importance, uh, I wouldn't put a lot on it. But I think if you tie that in with your last question about um, like how people look or how they portray themselves, their style, I think when you look at, because there's so much music out there now, um, like labels get so much stick, I don't think any of it's, well not any of it, but certainly anymore, much of it is deserved. Um, 
they support and grow artists a lot better than most. But you look at their approach now, and it's much more artist-centric for that very reason. Like, you want to Lewis Capaldi because you don't need to get someone to manage his social media because he's in touch with his audience, which is very much the audience that likes what he does. Like, he couldn't see older people enjoying that. But then, or as much. But you, you, you want them to be fashion designers. You want them to be, which is great for the artist as long as the deal is good. But definitely it's sort of shifting from one hit at wonders because it just doesn't return. So this idea of having a thousand likes on Instagram was, or a thousand followers or 10,000 followers, whatever, on Instagram was like a big thing a few years ago. But honestly, and you look at it at festival lineups now, the, the really good independent festivals that have the opportunity to pick who they want are are getting to just pick music that they think will fit the fit the mood of a stage right the genre of the festival exactly like, yeah so electronic or country or indie or yeah yeah exactly and so it's less definitely still important sorry it's sort of a roundabout question answer to a question yeah. but like definitely still important to obviously focus on your personal brand but you forget that for some artists and I, I don't rate any genre higher than the other but some artists social media uh, or the amount you post is probably pretty similar it's still important for you to be out there but the style of your social media and the attention you pay to it doesn't matter as much yeah because again it's about what your audience picks up on and again about you being just so centered on what your thing is Louis Capaldi is a brand yeah. He's not an artist. True. Oh, well, he is well, an artist. He is an artist as well. But, but it's like, they're it's, investing in it. Lewis, Lewis Capaldi Incorporated, you know? Yeah. But in this age of, like, streaming music and uh, the revenue return on streaming not being, like, what CDs used to be, um, so, like, streaming music online is where people get heard after, even if you found them at a concert or you found them at a festival, which has booked them based on, like, them being quite small online. But... Uh, because everyone is now touring, like even people are back touring, because um, that's where the money is. Do you think those tours and gigs are being sold on social media? Do you think that it's the loyal fans and like it's very di- like it's very different? God, this is the golden question. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like where do you think that's coming from? Because I feel like Lewis Capaldi's tours will sell out, and half the audience will be there for music, and half the audience will be there for him. Mm, and that, yeah, and, for sure. And like Coldplay and you two aren't as big on social media and if they are it's more their labels it's very much yeah not absolutely absolutely but, but it's like when they sold out tours it was a whole different kind of thing yeah for sure when co-play yeah, now they're they're going better back at it a different way which i really appreciate i think they get a lot of stick yeah uh which is always the way when you're big but fair play to co-play for being in a place position of power and trying to do it better even though they can afford to but um yeah, like again, it's like it's artist-centric approach now. Lizzo runs around social media, or certainly appears to do most of it. Um, yeah, even if she's approving stuff, it's her recording videos. Yeah, and her, exactly, yeah. and it's it's definitely that more investing in the personal band people because social media was very much like growing when these guys were releasing their fifth album. When you look at the likes of Coldplay or U2, Ten, whatever, they were just sort of applying the same. Um, methods to this new medium which had never had methods like that applied yeah, to yeah 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 like so in terms of imaginative ways it's it's 
it's still really tough to sell tickets. But yes, it is probably what, when you're looking at success, it's probably one of the best metrics currently. Is touring and Touring size. and then the strength of your music. It always comes yeah. back to the music. If yeah, your yeah. songs are good, you're going to be successful yeah. at some point. Yeah. Because people are going to hear it, they're going to latch onto it, and it's going to get bigger. But if you can manage to sell out 300 cap venues, you're like, you're making progress. Or if you're a 50 cap room, followed by six months later, 100 cap room, there's like progress there. It's like people are building... They're telling you, telling people through natural ways. The tough thing is with streaming is because you get all these analytics. So you see too that, much on the numbers. Well, it's just like you could see that you have three thousand listeners in London, and then you're like, oh, I can sell a couple hundred tickets. No, you can't, because you don't know where those streams are coming from. Mm-hmm. Now, there are ways to figure it out. So if you can figure out where your streams are coming from, how many active listeners you have, where your followers are, that's a great indicator of people actually taking another step. Because how many artists do you follow on Spotify? Probably very few. Mm -hmm. Because most people listen through passive formats such as playlists. So if you look at the Joe Soap, the the person who just listens to music on his commute, that's where you got to listen to. So he turns on uh, Chill or Spotify and Chill, whatever. Turns on that playlist, hops on the bus, listens to music, is entertained, takes his earphones out, goes to work. Name him, ask him to name one of the artists. Ask he him, listen to, yeah. Yeah, not no a hope. Idea. Not a hope. So when you get in, thrown in these massive playlists, or even a smaller playlist, but it's easier to demonstrate with the massive ones, you could be receiving like 10,000 streams a day. Just by being just on Just being on it, which, yeah. is, which is great revenue, it's, it's good exposure. Listening to an album, starting at the first one, listening through exactly. all that artist, and you listen to it because exactly. you know, I like this artist, I like this music. Exactly. Yeah. So when you're looking, now, don't get me wrong, Spotify are That's definitely, very interesting. they're making more of a conscious effort to push engagement. Improve analytics as well. Yeah, because they see. know. Yeah. But, um, but again, the USP of Spotify, no, like, sure, their method, they, they care about musicians, but... All Spotify care about is getting a user in, having them listen within six seconds. They don't yeah. care what they're listening to as long as they're listening. And that's great. And it's built a, an amazing global platform for musicians. Um, so you have to definitely drill down and be so critical and cynical about your numbers. But there's great tool, ways to use the tools. I think that's, instead of saying, oh, I don't get, make any money from Spotify, you don't make any money from CDs. Like we had an artist who had pulled in like 100,000 streams in its yeah. first two months or something. And it's like, what an amazing feat for first ever song. Would he have sold 100,000 CDs? No. Would he have been so listened to by so many people in Australia? No. So it's like, stop focusing on the fact that I won't make loads of money in CDs. You will. If you think about this correctly, play a show in an area where people want to listen to you, you'll sell CDs there. I suppose you mean appreciate the metrics of the numbers differently so don't appreciate exactly. them as like oh that could have been 100,000 CD sales yeah. it's more just that was the 100,000 that have listened to me and yeah. I've got to work and out how to exactly change. it's just yeah. and I think don't get me wrong like it's for independent musicians it's really tough but it's always been really tough do you think there I think that just so, changed social media kind of has it's a little bit ironic so in this day and age people in a good way have access to a device that can record them technology has made music much more accessible to people all around the world um like obviously the best musicians will still learn properly but you can get in 
to like playing instruments on apps and just like learning there's so much more resource in terms of like youtube videos and skillshare and but is that ironic unlimited that, access what? unlimited access exactly <laughs> unlimited access but does do you, do you think that uh because not everyone needs a record to sign or a label to sign to sell their record or and anyone tech like anyone can upload to spotify once it's approved and uh, it's even cheaper than creating a mixtape instead of handing it out on the street. Do you think that's ironically making it harder to get noticed because there's so much being shared and it's quite a saturated market? Absolutely. So it's 40,000 tracks a day are uploaded yeah. to Spotify. Insane. Uh, which is a bit staggering when you think about it. So when you look at like... So how do you stand out? Again, back to the same thing. You write good songs, you stick to what you're doing and you do it really, really well. You look at like Billie Eilish, who would have thought that a whispering pop song um would be the biggest the, one of the big what 10 grammys this year uh, and she writes them very differently because i saw a video with billboard where i think they wrote uh they they wrote a chorus but actually the pre-chorus was what the users thought was the chorus mm. so that they it, like people love the wrong yeah. bit of it but yeah they, they mess, mess they, with people exactly listening. they just mess yeah. with people yeah i love that but which is kind of like a nice lead on to anderson yeah and your slogan with Anderson, which is your music tech company, mm. completely separate to the management business, which yeah. is why you're so busy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me about it. it. The slogan is imagine being heard. Yeah. What is Anderson about? It's, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, it is, it, it, so when myself and Zach went through that whole management process of building the roster, trying to work with artists again that we believe in, that we like the sound and we believe we can do a job, a good job for. It's really hard because you have that that issue, the 40,000 tracks constantly of new music. You then have the, the social media black hole. Like how do you find artists on social media if you don't know their name? Yeah. Do you go through the massive fake Instagram accounts, whatever? So luckily we started finding these like passive databases that like collected new artist names and you could search through keywords. But funnily again, I love Zach so much. He's the most hardworking guy I've ever worked with. Uh, his first search uh, that he goes for when he's looking for a new band, he's yeah. American, looks for an Irish success. So he goes, I want a hosier. But hosier as a keyword, string all these like three piece female pop rap bands and indie rock groups and it was like none of these bands sound like hosier why am i sitting here at my desk looking for something that i need and not getting it impatient that's what social media tells you to be you want everything in an instant yeah but it's like at the same time when you go back to that like the constant the ease of access that music uh, that music tech and spotify have provided it's like okay so this is not just us everyone is trying to find the next hit um everyone is looking for the justin bieber in their bedroom that was found on YouTube by Usher. Everyone is looking for the next Billie Eilish. And they want them first as well. They want, yeah. want them first. They want, they them, want them in their bedroom because they're cheap. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> but it's true. Um, they want them before they're big. Yeah. Um, but again, they're looking for that. They build the full team around them really early. Absolutely, and then, yeah. yeah. Um, and hopefully build it well so they support the artist and give them enough money. But still, it's like they're, they're looking for that more complete tool. So that term... The term in the music industry for like searching and nurturing artists is A&R, which is like artisan repertoire. It varies from searching to full-scale artist development, where you could be working with a label 
for or whatever now there's loads of different companies that do it um on branding on styling on marketing but helping you be the most complete package of you um and it's very individual but that process because of tech because of spotify because of these amazing um, music tech companies is becoming harder and harder because of that ease of access so i suppose anderson is coming at it from two different sides so one is helping a and or absolutely industry but then the other is helping artists absolutely yeah yeah so it is it's a little bit sometimes people get a bit confused because you're coming we're coming at it from both sides but that's where the name came from a and or anderson a and d or um a little bit of a play and then yeah we decided to go with the imagine being heard because again when we're looking at trying to provide that that access to artists that that more reasonable tool instead of being one of one of the thousands that are uploading every day to Spotify and you're hoping to get into New Music Friday. And New Music Friday is like doubled in sides now. So it's like 80 songs a day every, every Friday. So there's loads of artists that'll be thrown at the bottom and they think they're in the new top of the pops. But people um, just don't get down to them or they don't, yeah, even don't if they do listen, they don't it's pick just up so on much. It. It's just so, so much. Logistically, how does the app work? So yeah. Honest, let's say. So the... The psychology behind it was really to try and provide a tool that industry wanted. Industry know what they want on a cynical level. Um, so back to what you were saying, certain labels do conform to genre. Um, certain organizations, like if it, when you go to label level, uh, really where this is the most powerful, they will sit around on the table. They know that they've got their KPIs. They need to sign 10 acts this month, 100 acts by the end of the year, whatever that is. They want a gender balance. And if they're a pop label or if they're a rock label, they have all the artists that they work with and they have all the artists that they like. So they know their space. Sure, you get diamonds in the rough, yeah. 100%. You get the, the, the ones that you weren't expecting, absolutely. But as a, as a vague idea, they know what they like and they know what they're looking for. Um, and that's, that was the whole premise. It's like give them a tool that allows them to search what they're looking for. So we decided to really hone into like this audio analysis piece, see how much we could pull out and try and provide the, basically the most powerful music or audio analysis tool that's available uh, to both industry and artists. So what we do is if an A&R rep or manager or booker is looking for, let's give an example of a female artist within 50 kilometers of Dublin who sounds at least 70% like and list any artists you want, like Georgia Smith, Britney Spears, whatever that is, we then present them with like recruitment lists. So instead of them going through the process we did with like the hosier and getting these artists that just tag themselves. Searching by name rather than searching by... Well, so what they were doing is a lot of the databases use keywords. Yeah. So there's nothing to stop me creating an artist account and tagging myself that I sound like Beyonce. It's completely subjective to whoever made the keyword. Exactly. Yeah. So there's nothing to stop. Well but there's no there's no accountability. Like be nice, but do I sound like Beyonce when I sing? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the whole point. It's like trying to again so A and R worldwide spends four and a half billion on this process. Finding new artists. Finding new artists and nurturing them. What we're trying to do is close that gap you think of the the issue we had sitting at our desk, trawling through the internet, trying to find artists. And we're at, at the time, we were a team of two looking for two to four acts. We're now bigger, we're at six plus, but 
we were looking for very small and we literally wasted weeks just trying to find people. just trying to find people because again everything is like artists are great at listing their influences and listing their story but when they say what they sound like it can be it can be inaccurate um and trying to remove the emotion from that just to provide a search because as soon as you get into the profile absolutely in or want to know where you come from what your story is why you got into music who influences you after they've heard you and after they yeah. after you tick the first if, few boxes yeah people again back to the whole label thing people are like cynical about labels and they're like oh they're just about making money absolutely they're business what business isn't about making money but if you boil it down to the crux of it and you go to a any label, big or small, and you ask them why they work in the music industry, none of them say it's to make money. Yeah. None of them. They're obsessed with music. They're music fanatics, and they love what they do. They absolutely will grill artists hard about their numbers and how they're gigging and because that's their job. But they're in this because they love music. So none of them, or certainly very few, will say, I signed that artist because they have 20,000 followers on Instagram. Of course. Of or because they got in, just because they got in, it's like no, they reminded me, they they connected to me in my heart and reminded me of an old, a new version of the Smiths, or I remember an artist we stumbled across and it's like wow, this is as if like David Byrne and um, David Byrne had like a spoken word kid, <laughs> and it's like it, it, you do make references. You make reference. It's like that's what you know. And yeah. Even though you see difference here, you like it because it's similar to what you've heard before. It's similar yeah. to what you enjoy. Don't get me wrong. There's a uniqueness to music, and absolutely love discovering new music. It's my favorite part. Of As the an era. artist, like a young person or anyone in Dublin, even how could they get involved in Anderson? How, as an artist, like how can they get heard? Absolutely. So. We had a really interesting sort of like launch period, which was interesting because I've never launched an app before. Um, but so we launched back at Art of Music Week in October. And as soon as you launch, you start getting real feedback. We had a beta launch before that and you get really positive feedback. But as soon as you go live, you get like an angry email from some man in the middle of America who just so happened to fall across uh, your app and download it and he finds everything wrong with it. So we spent the last three months redeveloping the whole, the whole platform. Um, not a major overhaul, but just making it a lot easier for artists to understand the process without one of us having to sit with them. Um, so we're relaunching in March. Um, we're taking signups now. So if people want to sort of um, learn a little bit more about the platform and what's coming next, uh, you can find out about us on anderson.com. That's Anderson with no E. Um, and then other than that, yeah, we're looking for like a big global, um, we'll be pushing marketing uh, globally as soon as we relaunch sort of end of March. And obviously you're a man with so many skills and, um, but you did, you like you did start into music management and into music all your life through a love for and a passion for music and knowledge in that area of it. And even with music management, it probably wasn't that big a leap but in terms of being like, okay, like we have a problem with finding artists. It's like, we're gonna solve it. We're gonna bridge that gap in the market and set up an app, set up a tech company. Like how, like what do you think, do you, what challenged you the most in terms of like speaking the language of developers and marketing <laughs> and business Ooh. in general? Like that's a whole other side of starting a startup and, and artificial intelligence. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, have to, uh, if we had a third mic, the third person on this mic in this interview conversation would have to be Zach because the benefit of being so young and having someone 
even just age-wise, a few years older than you, has lived more life. Uh, Zach has an MBA under his belt. Um, so Zach being, having Zach as my business partner has made the whole process amazing and easier. And I've learned so much from him and I hope he's learned a lot from me. But I think honestly, like a lot of that stuff, you just sort of have to absorb. I think the developer stuff, I've always had a very mathematical brain. I studied two years of engineering and then left, but I still understand the processes they're going through. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So when there's a problem, I can talk it out with people and I understand the issues. I won't be able to fix their line of code. But you understand what they're talking about. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of the, the bigger stuff I grapple with are maybe the more like hardcore business stuff. Legals sometimes freak me out or certainly did at the start. Um, Zach is a legal whiz. His, his comp comes from a family of lawyers in New York. So um, he's always been very calm about that. So learning about that was really interesting. Did you ever find that it was really important because you were so focused on management and music that you just needed to outsource, thi- outsource things really quickly? Like, did you, in terms did you of, try and bite off everything in terms of like legal, accounting, oh, right, yeah. coding? Like, how much did you try and start, do yourself at the start? And then how much you're like, okay, this, oh, we well, can't do this. As a startup, if you don't have money, you have to do everything yeah. yourself. So uh, we did everything ourselves until we couldn't, um, which I definitely feel like I'm, I'm so fortunate. Give me some wood to touch of where we are right now that we can afford to have an amazing accountant team work for us and a great legal representation and stuff, which means you feel secure going forward because you have these people who've been doing things for so long. Um, but definitely, you also need to know what they're doing. So having to do the boring company registration office filings and stuff, Really like having employees. Like no, no, but no, having to do them originally oh, yourself. Yeah, yeah, setting up. Yeah. Just knowing what the processes are definitely calmed me down a lot. Um, but yeah, absolutely. As you expand, you just it, you just can't do everything. And your workload shifts from being, like with Anderson, we have an amazing marketing uh, director, Cara, who, like I would have definitely for much more of the responsibilities and marketing side of things. So now have someone as great as her leading that um, just means we can focus on other things because there's just, as you grow, there's just so many more things that have to be done. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. It's, just, yeah. it's like you start off with one thing and then suddenly yeah. you just have to fill all these other things. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny. It's like, it's different. I think like the, there was definitely last year, this time last year, there was a period about six or seven months where we were like, every startup goes through it. You get some money, you run out, and you think you're never going to get any money again, and you're trying to do this thing that you really believe in, um, and you're eating bread and eggs every day, yeah. followed by bananas and a coffee, and that's all you can afford. Yeah. Um, very fortunate to be where we are right now. where But it's also like, it's exciting, because our job is, sh- the role is shifting. More well, leadership-wise. Yeah, yeah, which, again, Zach is an incredible leader, and he leads by, I'm, I'm such a doer. Um, if something needs to be done, I'll just do it. Um, where That's one of the biggest things that I struggle with. It's taking a breath. And it's always been the way. It's sit back, try to do this calmly, delegate, because you now have people whose job it is to do work for you, um, and embrace that. Uh, 
and then lead yeah like we've got we've got interns we've got younger developers we've got senior developers and it's like they're not asking me to write the lines of code they're just they're looking for direction they're looking yeah. for um approval on what they're doing so yeah it's is it's, it a hard balance now with Anderson like growing and growing and growing and still having Think Tank and them both growing? Like mm. how do you manage the two? Do you have like half a day each or is it, <laughs> it's very just all over the place? No, I, I wouldn't say all over the place just just yet. No, it's good. Like the Anderson stuff is exciting. Um, there's certainly, it's, it's great to have more Anderson. Anderson has always been something that we wanted to grow quickly. Think Tank is... Like, it's the reason I left college was to get into band management. Uh, and then through that, we found this really frustrating thing, which is why we Not stopped. Not into a whole other thing, yeah. Um, we love them both dearly. Uh, Anderson has, just because of the nature of the beast, does take tend to take up more time. And because the artists, you end up putting in so much more effort in the first, like, two years with an artist, you do after. Don't get me wrong, when they get big... It's like there's But it's a different kind of challenge. It's less it is, just like yeah. you start to give more responsibility to them as they yeah, and, as and, well. And your team expands again. So like we've got a great booker for some of the bands. We've got a lawyer for some of our groups. Uh, we're entering label conversations. So again, it's the same sort of thing. The management becomes the middleman on the artist management sort of stuff where your booker will call you up and be like, Hey, here's all the dates for the shows. Are they cool with you guys? Yes or no? In the yeah, past, more of a yes man, yeah, less of you actually doing the phone well, call. In the past, like, yeah, having a and our booker is amazing. Uh, he bears a lot of the grunt for us, and I really appreciate that. Um, but like, absolutely, it's it's a it's a when you're doing that as well as trying to do all the other bits. Again, as they grow, you realize the other bits need more attention, so you just need someone else because venues are just especially in Ireland like you look at all the medium sized venues there's only a few and there's so many artists in Ireland right now like there's thousands of musicians in Ireland where 10 years ago certainly on the on the higher level there was only a few and um, so there's just such competition what advice do you have for young new talented musicians singers bands like whoever they may be starting out and pursuing music uh, looking for working recognition so given that they've like practice music themselves for years and like they're good but they want to start into like they want to do music yeah play shows yeah it's the best way you get feedback um i really like the idea of collaboration as well collaboration doesn't always have to be result in like a collaboration track but meeting with other whether like-minded or not but like it's one of the things um some of our artists are doing now meeting with different producers because you start to hone in more on what you are you could have a really bad experience and like not like the result of what you make, but that's okay. It's like when you're trying to decide what you want to do in your career, going and doing work experience in a, in a cafe or in a, in a restaurant or working in a construction company. And it's like, I really liked that or I didn't like this. That's it. You didn't like it, but you know why you didn't like it. Exactly. It makes you sure of what you do like. Yeah. Um, so I think that, again, back to what I said earlier on, I think the best piece of advice, which is the hardest thing to remember is to find out and decide what your essence is and be okay with that because you should take inspiration from all these artists. No longer do you have to be the Ariana Grande 
Like the status quo of music no longer exists, which is the greatest thing that the likes of Spotify have facilitated. It's no longer about that. It's about everything. It's about people who are just passionate about what they're doing and doing it really well. So if you can, if you're fortunate enough to be able to boil down what you love to do and know it and be like, this is who I am. I don't care if anyone doesn't like me. The greatest management like interview we ever had was with this band. I won't say names. And like, honestly, my heart was like beating out my chest after yeah. the interview. It was like being on a first date. I went home and I texted Zach. I was like, do we text him? Do we text them to see if they're still interested? You know, it's just like, yeah, it's actually like, no, no, play it cool, play it cool, wait till tomorrow. But it's like, the people we were with were just like, we don't care if we get terrible reviews. We know what we're doing is really good. And like, there were definitely parts of the, like the chat that I was like, oh my God, these guys are so full of like, full of themselves. But at the same time, I was like, you just realize that they know what they're doing. It's their own thing. People, he's like, I would rather see someone burst into tears at the end of a concert than tell me it was great. Or tell me, tell them they hated me than tell me it was great because he's like, I want people to feel something, you know? And it's just, it was just like, it was electric talking to this guy because he was just so sure of what he was doing. I've always uh, heard this thing and I think it's like really important. It's something I've tried to work towards because it's like when you start to think about numbers, particularly as mm. a young person in like a social media era and like, oh, Ariana is like so famous. Mm. It's, it's this thing about having a thousand fans oh. and just having a thousand fans and you don't need any more. And it's like, oh, nice. it, because it's, it's, you just need a thousand people who will go to your gigs, a thousand Absolutely. people who will buy your merch, a thousand gigs. Like, Sorry, I thought it was like, no, it's like if you have a million followers, but you don't have any fans. Like, exactly. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it, but if you have a thousand followers and they're all fans of yours absolutely you can make a living on that it, absolutely it, it, once they're the people who are actually invested invested in you i was and literally then, thinking yeah. the same thing today <laughs> literally because i was looking at an artist that i really like uh, and i was playing the numbers game i was looking at the venue because she just sold it out i was like oh it's only 200 people and i was like however she's got 200 people who sold she sold it out in like 24 hours and she was like oh my god thanks so much for selling it out i was like oh it's only 200 tickets but i'm like actually 200 tickets in 24 hours for a young artist is like incredible. It's also, it's also because they're a young artist, it's, it's 200 people who'll buy a t-shirt. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's really top 200 fans. It's not when it's that who quick. Like, oh, I wonder what's on in Dublin this exactly. weekend. Exactly. Yeah. When it's that quick, you're like, wow, you've got people who are really, really interested in you. And the best thing about that, and seeing that firsthand, seeing that, watching that grow is so incredible because you see that small fanatic base grow naturally so that's when you when you're like what do you recommend play shows do what you do really well yeah and oh don't be afraid to smile in fucking in press photos yeah don't be afraid to smile in press photos that artists like always that came out of like a little no, it's, it's, or something. oh absolutely someone told me this uh I, we were working with this great guy david um he sort of involved in anderson for a while who's tons of experience in the music industry and he said it, he'd like worked in big labels and he's like, why do artists always scowl? Don't be afraid of smiling. People love to see people smile. Yes, it's cool to not smile and pout. But and yeah, absolutely. The high fashion look. Absolutely. One of, uh, one of our great, Shiv is a, uh, one of our artists and she's absolutely amazing. And she has, she is really infectious about that mantra. She's just like, 
I love smiling. Smile. Yeah, yeah. and her, and it's just so like it's contagious. It is. Yeah. yeah. My last question for you is along the same lines as the last one. But what advice do you have for an established artist who possibly has been gigging for a few years and feels like they're not making any progress? They feel like they're just a bit stuck in the mud. That's a very good question. It can be really tough. Yeah. Um, I think we've worked, one of the guys we worked with was with a band like that. And, and sometimes I think, it, sometimes it takes a lot of guts to step back from it. Um, if it's a group, uh, sometimes taking a small hiatus, whether it's a trip, a holiday, or a writing hiatus, where you all go in separate directions and sort of be like, what, what are we doing here? Um, it's it's the same as everything. It's like it, people get stuck in ruts a lot because they're so focused on doing this one and thing. And music can probably be hard because it's quite yeah. creatively driven. So exactly, you, you yeah. feel like a lot of the onus is on you and Absolutely. it's all your fault. And but, but I think one of the greatest things, sometimes people look at ending one project as a negative. Some of my favorite bands are no longer together. Like one of my, one of the greatest Dublin like indie rock bands or alternative rock band spies of who are like five best friends i think they've been together for almost 10 years now they're coming towards their last ever gig um but they're just going in separate directions you know and that's not a bad thing five fantastic musicians some of them may not stay in music um because they're pursuing different things but you look at that and you're like it takes a lot of guts to end things on an amicable note but it doesn't always have to end, but stepping back and realizing, oh, you actually want to make this yeah. type of music. I don't like that type of music. It's That's a positive thing. It's constructive. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And um, been tons of bands that have done it recently in Step Back. One of the artists we worked with was in an amazing band that was like <clears throat> really sort of like synthy, progressive, uh, I call it like synth indie rock sort of stuff. And now he's a singer songwriter. And now he's grown out his band again, which incorporates a lot more sort of like grungy indie rock sort of sounds. Um, but I think sometimes you just need to take that step back and you, you can become blindsided by doing the same things over and over again. By, oh, this must be, we're doing this right. And it could just be that you're just looking at it from the wrong place. Like Absolutely. Play a show in a different place. Mm-hmm. Just change it up a little bit. Yeah. Buy, buy a new instrument. That's a good idea. Try a new instrument. Neil, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it so much. Uh, I think you've given so many people so much value. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch or anything like that? Yeah, so I'm Neil F. Dunn uh, on everything. Instagram, Twitter. Reach out, say hi. Don't be mean. <laughs> Social media is a safe place. Thank you. That has been the Camera to Me podcast. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you all so much. If you're listening on Anchor, feel free to send in a voice message. I would love to hear your thoughts and feedback. You can email me at guyb.ie. You can find me at guyboggin on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. And you can subscribe to the weekly email with interesting things at camertome.ie or guyb.ie forward slash camertome.ie.